For your Lord God would say to you today, think not that I am a God that isn't aware. Think not that I'm a God that sticks my head in the sand. Think not that I'm a God that doesn't know every step you take and every thought you think and every place you go. Think not that I am not moving and working in the midst of your need now, today, at this time. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that delivereth thee. And I am the Lord that will lead you through every step you take. As long as you keep your hand in mine, I will not let you go, says the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Shataya Bokoto, Mokai. He's a good God and he's an aware God. He's an on time God. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. With that, we'll just jump right in to the word this morning. I'm so glad to see each one of you. And I have a question for you this morning How many believe in the rapture? How many believe that it's coming soon? Amen. And how many believe that it can happen today? Amen. I do too. I'm so thankful for the teachings that we've had, and it's been a blessing to me, me, myself, and I. So I hope it has been to you too. But today we have a bit of a different approach. I'm going to talk about when Paul was in prison, he wrote letters to different ones to encourage them in the faith. Titus and Timothy are two we're going to talk about today. Two young men that Paul ordained into the ministry and for whom he held great regard and leaned upon heavily to carry the load of the work while he was in prison and un unable to do anything. And I want to focus for just a few minutes. We want to give Don as much time as he needs, but I feel like the Lord gave me this message. If you would turn to Titus chapter 1, we're going to read verses 10 through 16. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place today. You are an aware God. You are our source for everything, as we're going to read in just a few minutes, Lord. And I pray that you would bless and anoint the rest of this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Titus chapter 1. Paul is guiding Titus as to what characteristics would disqualify a minister, a bishop, or some other leadership position within the church. Within the church, remember this. This list that I'm going to read to you, we're going to read it together, in, starting in verse 10, fits most of our elected government officials today, I might say. But Paul was referring to ministerial candidates and their qualifications. Why? Because Jewish, Jewish leaders in the church were also leaders in the government. They went hand in hand. And this is what Paul wrote in Titus chapter 1, verse 10. If you read with me. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, 
especially they of the circumcision, speaking of those Jewish leaders, whom I would liken to our government officials today. Verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert or overthrow something that is already established, whole houses, houses of families, houses of churches, houses of government, teaching things that they should not for filthy lucre's sake, tainted evil money. The things that were coming out of their mouths of the body of leadership was vile and it was for their own personal gain. This is what Paul wrote. Verse 12, one of themselves, even a prophet of their very own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, or lazy gluttons. Wow, this is how they described each other. And now Paul's advice for this, verse 13, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn away from the truth. Do you hear this message Paul is saying to Titus? Don't put up with this. Verse 15, this is one of the most important things I think I've read in a very long time. For unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. We wonder how can men be so evil how can men perpetrate such debauchery in this world? Well, here it is. For no, nothing is pure to those who are unbelieving and defiled. Verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate or depraved, unprincipled, disapproving, censured, and bad. Paul said, speak to them sharply. Tell them of their errors in the faith, in hopes of keeping them in the straight and narrow path, the faith of Christ. So there is reason and biblical backing for standing against evil actions of men, for speaking to them sharply, for telling them of their wickedness and their wicked ways, all in hopes of turning them back to Christ. This is a pattern for us today. Obviously, we don't go get in the faces of people and scream and yell at them. No, that's not where our power comes from, and we're going to read about that in just a minute. And now if you would turn back a few pages, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read a few verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 
Paul writes this to Timothy from his prison cell. Paul was pretty busy in prison trying to keep these young men afloat and keep their churches alive and moving forward despite all of these struggles and heartaches that they were going through. Verse 5, when I call to remembrance, Timothy, the unfeigned, meaning the genuine, sincere faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in thee also, Paul says, let me put you in remembrance. He says, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my own hands. Paul ordained him and laid hands on him to go into the ministry. And Paul's reminding him of this in verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel what? According to the power of God. And now if you drop down to verse 12. For the cause, for this cause, I suffer these things. Paul is saying, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I am not defeated. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. What day? The day he comes to get us. Amen. Amen. There are some very powerful messages in these two passages of scripture. Paul knew the struggle that these two young men were having with these factions in their church in the case of Titus people fighting against him that are supposed to be in leadership, and yet here's this young man trying to lead. So Paul laid it out in very plain English how to deal with this. Here, Titus, this is what I would do if I were there. And he told, he told Timothy, I know where you've come from. I worked with your grandma and your mom, and I saw the power of their dedication, and I saw the power in prayer that they demonstrated. I believe it was at, at Lystra or Lystra. I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't include the location where he had worked with them before. And he said, Timothy, I know that that same power is in you because they taught it to you in your boyhood home. <laughs> so Timothy... You stir up what's in you. You remember the godly beginnings and heritage from which you came. And then you can stand in your own faith because you also know and believe that your power comes only from God. Timothy, don't forget, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. They go together and a sound mind. And I'm here to tell you today that this is our heritage too. 
We did not receive fear from God, but we received power and love and soundness in our mind, in our doctrine, in our actions from him. And therefore, we can say we know whom we have believed. And we're persuaded that everything that we have charged to him about us, my life is totally in his control, his hand, and I believe with my whole heart that he's capable. He just told us, I'm the God that leads you, heals you, and directs you. Hallelujah. Those unbelievers whose minds and consciences were defiled were in rebellion and against every good work that they did. This is why I felt it prudent today to put the sign on the front door for maybe just today. Maybe it's just for today. We don't want to give them a place. We don't want to give them fellowship with evil in their heart. But Paul said, Timothy, stir up what's inside of you. And at this time, we're going to ask Don to come and do a legal update. I'm so thankful. The words that the Lord spoke to us, think not that I'm a God that doesn't pay attention to what's going on here. I think we're going to hear some very, very true words to prove that in just a few minutes. There's no doubt that this, this update is going to be unlike any other because there's something so monumental that happened this week that certainly in my lifetime, nothing quite, I think, this substantial has occurred. Now, there were two major decisions this week out of the Supreme Court. One of them we've already mentioned in prayer, and, and surely everyone is aware that Roe v. Wade was stricken down this week in good riddance. There was one other Okay, on, on Thursday, the Supreme Court struck down New York's restrictions on individuals' abilities to get a permit to concealed carry. Now, that would mean in, in the state of New York, you had to request a permit from the local county sheriff to get permission to carry a gun with you. And what New York did was like California and about seven other states where... Um, that sheriff would essentially say, you need some special need. You have to have some special purpose. And for most people, you didn't measure up. You, you know, it's been a blend of, uh, you know, people in professional security or people, you know, I've heard maybe a jeweler could get that, um, or if you had a good relationship with that sheriff. <laughs> um, and that's, we've seen plenty of corruption in that, in that, in that way as well. The Supreme Court, extended the court's decision in 2008 in a case that was referred to as Heller, which struck down uh, the, the District of Columbia's requirement that in order to have a gun in your home, your gun must be disassembled. So here you've got a Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, and the way uh, the District of Columbia allowed you to do that was to have it in pieces in your home. And in that case, the court, citing the explicit rights in the Second Amendment to keep arms, held that you have a right to defend yourself in your home, and that includes the right to own a gun and to defend your home with a gun that is in one piece. Now, consider, 
Our First Amendment rights, our First Amendment rights, and there's many that believe for good reason that the amendments are given in a sequence of some importance or in order. Our First Amendment rights secure freedoms of speech, freedoms of expression, free exercise of religion, freedom of assembly, and freedom to petition our government for grievances. Our First Amendment rights establish the basis of our individual identity and expression. The Second Amendment, right to keep and bear arms, is a key mechanism for us as individuals to enforce that right against the government that might seek to take those rights away. It's our way of securing our First Amendment rights. The rest of the Constitution goes on to uh, provide for, in, in, in the Bill of Rights, additional rights that we have. But it doesn't provide us a mechanism to enforce them. And you might say, well, we don't need, you know, what, do we need guns to enforce our rights against the government? That was the experience of our founding fathers, that without that right, all the rest of them are not worth the paper they're printed on. because. When the government decides it's no longer expedient for them to give you those rights, they take them away. We've seen this happen over the last couple of years with various COVID restrictions that got more and more onerous for the people. And I, my personal opinion on this issue is that America stands as an exception to much of the rest of the world and that we have this, I believe, sacred right. And that if and when this right of ours were to disappear, you would see a rapid, rapid decline of freedom across the entire world because the rest of the world looks to us. And it, it, I firmly believe that other countries, you could, you know, that have much more restricted rights in this regard, including Canada, Britain, I mean, Western civilized countries where their people, Australia, Australia essentially claimed back the firearms of most of its country. And you might say, well, they still seem generally free. They still seem generally safe. Well, they do for now. And there's still us to look to as a, an example of that freedom. But I do believe that if we were to lose these, these freedoms, that the other countries would quickly decline as well. So in this case, getting back to the case, California, New York, like California, virtually banned the right to concealed carry a gun. There was a permit process, um, but they generally wouldn't give you a permit. The court citing, you know, where in the Heller case, they, they, they keyed in on the right to keep arms, but they stopped there because that was the extent of the issue in that case. So they stopped at that point. Yes, the right to keep arms, as it's stated in the Constitution, means that in your home, you can have a gun to protect yourself. In this case, they extended that to bear arms, which is the other key of the Second Amendment to keep and bear arms. And they held that there is a cons a, an explicit constitutional right that cannot be subject to a sheriff's discretion. An explicit right identified in the Constitution cannot be subject to a sheriff's discretion as to whether or not you can enjoy that right. And that that process effectively banned the Second Amendment rights of the people in New York uh, entirely. That citizens have a right to bear arms in the public just as they have the right to keep arms in their home. And that any restrictions would be limited to, to 
and this is the holding of the court this week, that any restrictions would be limited to certain sensitive locations. They didn't define sensitive locations, and you can guarantee that that will be the subject of more court cases to come because states like California will want to paint every location as a sensitive location. Um, but very likely everyone will agree that these sensitive locations would include places like public places, like courthouses and schools, uh, public schools. Uh, privately owned locations are still able to prohibit firearms on their premises. That could be our employers, it could be the restaurants we visit. They are still entitled to prohibit that on their grounds and to say, you know, we don't want anyone coming in to, to this location to be carrying a gun. Uh, concealed or otherwise. Now, key considerations on this case and this decision. Criminals that commit gun violence do not seek permits. I believe the statistics are that there has never been a mass shooting committed by a person with a concealed carry permit. And the government does not e issue permits to do illegal things like shoot people. This case will also strike down a variety of gun laws in about seven other states, including California. And so that, that raises a key point for anyone who has any, you know, apprehension about everyone around me may soon be carrying a gun, and, and that makes me uncomfortable. This situates New York and California and a few other states with about 43 other states in the nation who have had much more constitutional-minded uh, laws on the books regarding concealed carry. So this is not really a sweeping thing for the entire country, but more for you know states like California and New York that were well out of line with the rest of the country on this issue. And I'll just add, there were um, people in government in New York and California who have been pushing more and more restrictive laws on this point. And a lot of people on their side who, who do believe that guns should be more and more restricted warned them that the more you push these issues and the higher you work your way up through the courts, the greater chance there is that the, the Supreme Court pick up this case and give you a decision you may not like. And what the Supreme Court did in this case was it waited. It sat on these cases, it saw these cases. There's, very, there's a lot of cases similar to this one that floated around for decades. And the Supreme Court waited until it had a majority, a conservative majority. It never, because they, they get to choose which of these cases they pick up and, and what they have done for since 2008 is just left it alone, let the states decide and the circuit courts decide and it turned into a body of law that was an absolute mess, not unlike abortion. It was a mess. It was, in, you know, it was inconsistently applied, it was different in different jurisdictions, but they waited and they waited until they knew they had a majority that they could put together a comprehensive decision and have a good majority on this decision. In this case, the majority was 6-3. And in doing so, they secured, I mean, it's a very wise thing I would say that they waited because they waited until they knew they could secure a decision that had enough of a majority that it would be respected. And now we know that California, New York, and other locations will turn around and, and, and create laws that are still unconstitutional. This will still be in the courts for years and years to come, I'm, I'm certain, um, as they continue to try and push. If you recall, Santa Clara County uh, required that churches be closed after the Supreme Court said otherwise, and the Supreme Court had to admonish Santa Clara County in particular to say that they meant what they said that they meant. 
So we would expect nothing less on this issue and, and other issues to come with, with the state that we live in. So in, on Friday, I believe it was, Congress, with a small number of participating Republicans, passed a gun control measure. So it isn't clear to what extent it will pass muster under the Supreme Court ruling. Because, let me, let me get to that, because I had that at the end of my notes. This case will likely strike down a variety of laws in seven states, um, including California, including laws that restricted, uh, well, I'm guessing that as this, so, so what the court did was they, they immediately struck down New York's law regarding concealed carry. New York is now writing new laws that they are hoping will be in compliance with the court's decision. But they also secured for people, in general, across the country, you have a right to carry a gun out of your home and to defend your own self with that gun out of your home. Which again, was the law in about 43 states before this week. Now it extends to the last seven who weren't recognizing. I think that as a part of the, the clarity that the court provided on this point, there are a lot of other laws regarding guns that will also be stricken down uh, in the years to come. A lot of cases are already sitting in courts, cases regarding you know, how many bullets can your gun hold, or which guns are legal and which guns are not legal. Uh, machine guns and uh, you know, nuclear weapons are still not available. Uh, that hasn't been changed by this decision. Um, whether you wanted a machine gun or not, you can't get one uh, before, you can't get one after unless you pay a hefty tax to the government. Um, but this is a timely decision because a lot of blue states will now be forced to, care, to allow concealed carry to law-abiding citizens. And these states have not been, as we've experienced here, enforcing their laws regarding things like robbery, theft, uh, you know, your car's windows bashed in, your house broken into, well, was it worth $1,000? If not, we're not going to respond. The state has intentionally not been enforcing certain laws, and we've seen the chaos that has resulted. We also know that, that not, enfor not enforcing those laws was intentional. It was the philosophy of the district attorneys that, well, we don't believe in, you know, these laws to begin with, so we can't get them off the books, but we will choose not to enforce them. Uh, that resulted in the recall of the district attorney in um, uh, San Francisco recently, because crime has become so bad in that location that the people recalled the district attorney there. Well, this gives a balance to that. Our district attorneys may choose or not choose to enforce the laws, but criminals, understanding that each person that they now attack, each woman that they try to rip a purse off of, could be, they don't know, could be carrying a gun. They knew before she was not. They knew before the, the man or the woman they picked on or the car that they, they stole was from somebody who was defenseless. Now they don't know, and that's good. It's good that they don't know. It's good that they preserve their own life and say, maybe that purse or that car isn't worth losing my own life. Up till now, they have taken very little risk in stealing from us and, and committing crimes. I think that it's important that the people can now be a balance to what the government was not doing before to protect us. And you may not choose to ever have a gun or carry a gun, and that's okay. But the fact that the criminals now understand that you could be, that helps. It really does. And on, as, it, as it concerns our government, I've heard a lot of people say, well, if the government wants to come against you, you can't stop it. 
Well, I can't stop it, but 100 million armed people is a different story, and our founding fathers understood that well. And so, uh, for, you know, any, anyone who has ever said that, that type of thing is foolish, uh, I think we can remember situations like Ruby Ridge, where the FBI invaded the property of a single family, and they shot the wife through a window holding her baby and killed her. Uh, they also shot the family's dog and an, I believe it was their uncle. They also lost three or four FBI people, I believe, in that exchange and afterward changed their policies because it was such a, dra a dramatic embarrassment for them that they shot an unarmed woman holding a baby and killed, and this was all over the, the, the dad not having a correct, I think it was a permit or, or a tax stamp for a particular weapon. And this was a man that they had been using as an informant or wanted to use him as an informant and he refused and they were retaliating against him. And as a result, several members of his family lost their lives and several FBI agents lost their lives. And if you all remember Waco, what happened in Waco where they sent, they firebombed a whole compound full of women and children. In the process, the ATF and the FBI lost on their own several lives and the FBI and the ATF had to come back from that and say, we are changing our policies, we are changing our standards. That was an embarrassment for the government, it was an embarrassment for the FBI. And so there have been many instances in the past where single small groups of people have repelled government agents and forced a change. And if you, whether you, know, you thought that, I mean, there was some crazy people down there in Waco, but if they weren't armed, the government would have not thought twice in wiping that entire place out in days. So all that said, it does, create a, we want our government to think twice. We want our government to understand that they serve us and, and we don't serve them. And that's the intention of the constitutional program that we live under and that was its design. Now I was getting into the, the gun rights, uh, not the gun rights, the, the gun restriction law that was signed in uh, to law. Was it signed by Biden yet? Okay, so it's not clear how much of that is going to survive under the direct the decision of the Supreme Court here? Uh, one thing that they uh, addressed was creating incentives for states to do red flag laws. I think that's probably the most controversial part of that law. It doesn't create red flag laws. It just encourages states to enact them so that they can get more federal funds if they do. And what red flag laws are is if uh, somebody is... Uh, sends a complaint to a, a government agency, a sheriff, a police department, that they know of somebody who has, has a gun, and that they think that that person is a danger to themselves or somebody else, that they, this would give the uh, police the authorization to go in unannounced and um, take those guns. The problem with that is you don't get to have a trial, you don't get to have a chance to defend yourself, you don't get to have a chance to say, hey, that was a complete and total lie, and I think beyond that, we all understand that it might be a convenient way to disarm, you know, a populist to say, well, you're, you're, a, uh, you're a, a white nationalist or you're a domestic terrorist and, you know, boom, all your, all your guns are, are gone. And then you have, to pay to, you have to pay for legal counsel to get those things back. Um, so that's, that's a concern. Those, that, that law did not... Um, create a federal red flag law. Again, it, it, it encourages states to do so. Uh, but, but now if the state intends to do so, it must 
um, that law must. Uh, I've, I've read. I've read some of the details of it. It is a. In, it's internally consistent. It's probably unconstitutional as it stands, even before being enacted by states. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm not sure what all else is in that gun control bill from the federal government. It was really just, in a lot of ways, um, it's not as sweeping as they wanted it to be, but they wanted to pass something in light of all of the shootings uh, that occurred recently so that they could pat themselves on the back and say that they did something. Uh, it was notable in this decision from the Supreme Court that the dissenters, the three dissenters in the decision, one of them pointed out all of the recent shootings, including the one in Buffalo, where I believe 10 people were murdered by a young man with a rifle. Uh, the, uh, one of the justices with the majority's decision went back and addressed that case and said that that case occurred in New, New York where all of these restrictions were in force and none of those restrictions stopped it. You know, all these gun control restrictions are, are issued on the basis that regardless of all the ones already on the books, they weren't enough. And so these additional ones are going to be the ones that stop the next shooting. None of those have proven to be the case thus far. And yet we keep stacking more on top of more. But in this case, the Supreme Court made a sweeping decision that I think will protect our rights to keep and bear arms in the future, and that the, the laws that the various states and federal agencies create will have to stand under, under the uh, strict scrutiny uh, analysis that the courts now have to apply. Um, I will say that while the legal effect of striking down the New York restrictions on concealed carry permits is immediate, New York and affected states are going to work diligently to redo their restrictive laws in a manner that will continue to be challenged in court. And it may be months to years before this decision translates into really better law in states like California and New York. And when I say better law, I mean law that's not just immediately challenged again um, as it's going to be. But still, it sets a very good precedent for Second Amendment rights. Any, any additional questions or comments on this one? Everybody raise your guns. And then, no, I'm just kidding. Does it mean you don't have to have a permit? You still have to have a permit to strike your gun. It did not strike down the requirement of a permit, unfortunately. So there are a lot of states whose laws uh, recognize what they call a constitutional carry meaning the Constitution is your permit to keep and bear arms. You know, so those states, a lot of southern states and, and maybe far north states, uh, you know, have recognized that forever. Um, but they did not strike down a permit process. And what's going, the litigation that's going to come is going to focus on those permit processes. What they did say is that, that process cannot amount to a de facto ban whether it's some sheriff's discretion as it was in New York or whether it's some exorbitant cost or inefficient processes, that's what's going to happen here in Santa Clara is that they're going to sit on these applications, say that they don't have the staff to look at those applications. And what's going to happen is the courts are going to come back and say, well, then get rid of the process because your process amounts to a ban. So if it continues to stand between law-abiding citizens, now they can say you need a background check, they can say you need fingerprints, they can say you need to identify what it is you intend to carry. Um, there are restrictions that they can have, and the court acknowledged that there could be reasonable restrictions on the right to carry a firearm. 
However, if those, those restrictions amount to a ban that law-abiding citizens can't get the permit, it's going to fall down, and, and they're going to have to go back to the drawing boards. And I think that process will play out multiple times in uh, states like Illinois, California, New Jersey, New York, uh, the usual suspects. Chicago has already experienced this. They had such a uh, like D.C., they had such restrictive laws that the courts in that state struck the entire body of law down so that for a period of time, Chicago had zero restrictions other than, you know, maybe the age of 18 or something like that. So courts will do that. If they see that you're playing games with their uh, decisions, with their authority, they'll strike your entire regime down and leave you with nothing, um, you know, to protect you or whatever they, they deem that, that they need protection from. So... Uh, does that answer your question? Any other questions? It is what what I did want to highlight that it's very technical, and you, again, you may think you may not care about guns in general, may not be important to you, but it is important to consider that our founding fathers understood that that to secure our freedoms, that nothing else in the Constitution gave individuals any ability to secure their own freedom. Only the Second Amendment did so, and it stands apart from most all other countries in the world. And I really firmly believe that the only reason some of those countries haven't gone further to restrict the freedoms of their own people is because of the example of the United States. And so we don't want to see the example of the United States watered down in the fact that we, can, we do have these Second Amendment rights that help us secure the freedoms that the Constitution and that our Lord has granted us and given us. Uh, Audrey. Well, certainly these other states, it's, this has been life, you know, forever in these states. You know, when I grew up in Texas, m most trucks had a gun uh, hanging on the window in the back. It was not unusual. And, and at that time, kids would go to high school with guns in their trucks and go hunting after class. So uh, I think we all understand that this life of, you know, kids shooting up schools is a recent phenomenon and has much more to do with the state of mind of people than it does with the availability of guns. Because decades ago, guns were, were not that important one way or another, you know, it wasn't thought of as, as such an evil thing because people weren't as evil in their intentions. Kids didn't go kill other kids at school. It just didn't happen. And, we, and that was at a time when you actually had guns at school. I mean, there's colleges across the country that have armories and kids know even today that when you go to school with your gun, you check it in at the armory and then you can check it out and uh, go hunting or whatever it is you do. So um, my concern is that in the state of California that all the locations we go to grocery shop and do all these other things will prohibit guns and that you, your choice would either be to uh, ignore that or to leave your gun in your car. And now if you have a bunch of cars with guns in them, you're going to have people not breaking into those cars and stealing guns. And now criminals are getting more guns that way. So I think in that way, I hope that doesn't happen, obviously. Um, that would be terrible, uh, but that would be the result, of, again, of, of separating people from their own personal carry uh, gun and having to leave them somewhere like a car 
uh, and we'll have to see how that plays out. I think there are answers to that issue that we could get from other states. I've grown up mostly in California, so I've not seen how this is implemented, unfortunately. Although, even in California, if you go up north, or there's a, it's, it's, it's county by county, so there are northern California counties that you can get a carry permit easy, no issue. Um, it really is the metro areas that are the most restrictive. Uh, they're also the areas, of course, with the most gun violence. So uh, easy and uh, obvious uh, contradiction there. But anyway, um, we'll have to see how it plays out in the big cities, you know, where people get the permit, carry the gun, and then they go into locations that don't permit it. And what do they do with the gun? Where do they leave it? Obviously, we don't want, we don't want that going into the hands of criminals. Any other questions or comments or concerns? All right. Now, we get to the big one, abortion. Now, just at the outset, this one has to be, they're both very important, but this one in particular has been an object of focus, I know, for the church for many decades. I, uh, the, the Christian satire site said that, the ba uh, that it's called the Babylon Bee. It said Roe v. Wade was aborted in the 198th trimester. It's a rough play on words, but the, the, they were uh, reveling in, in that after all this time, this horrible decision. And the, the decision, Roe v. Wade, I remember in law school, I had a very liberal constitutional law teacher, and she taught us that Roe v. Wade is on very shaky legal ground. Everybody understood, who's being honest um, in the legal community, that Roe v. Wade was rested on a right that was invented in the Constitution. It was invented... Um, it was a right of privacy that was read into the Constitution for a different case where couples um, in some states could not use contraception. And so the, the Supreme Court, in somewhat of a lazy fashion, said, well, we would read into the Constitution an implied right that a, man and woman, a married man and woman could use contraception. Somewhat lazy, somewhat, you know, the Constitution must you know, secure that somehow. So they read it into the Constitution, and it, it just um, illustrates the danger of reading things into the Constitution because from that decision came Roe v. Wade, a, right to an, a, a constitutional right to an abortion, and that was the crux of Roe v. Wade, that, that the Supreme Court had read into the Constitution a right to an abortion that no state law could then infringe. And as we've seen over the years that, you know, and this stands apart, obviously, right, from the, the, the gun case. Because in the gun case, the Second Amendment calls out our individual right to keep and bear arms. There is nothing in the Constitution that called out a right to a Constitution. So the Supreme Court, after all these years, I think it's about 50 years, finally corrected that and said that there is no right in the Constitution to an abortion. And that this issue, like any other unenumerated right, if any, if there's a right that you want to find, address it at the state level. Because the U.S. Supreme Court addresses federal, you know, from a federal perspective, rights in the Constitution itself. And they have determined that there is no right to a Constitution in the Supreme, or in the, uh, there is no right to an abortion in the Constitution. Now, this was called the Dobbs case, and it came out of a law in Mississippi that had restricted abortion after the 15th week of pregnancy. However, 
the state of Mississippi, and many others had created these laws with one purpose in mind, and that was to get Roe v. Wade stricken down. Uh, there was a 6-3 decision that upheld the Mississippi law that, uh, um, that abortions after the 15th week could be uh, restricted. But by a 5-4 decision, John Roberts jumped off the decision uh, of the 5-4 five, the majority decision. The court went further, and it struck down Roe v. Wade. In all the cases underneath it, like Casey, the Casey decision, that, and it sent the matter of abortion. Casey was just one of the cases. That, uh, Roe v. Wade uh, allowed you to get abortion. Um, I don't remember what the, where that ended. I don't know if it ended. I don't remember what the, what the restriction on when they finally would take that right away, but Casey was the decision that said um, viability. At the point of viability, abortions could no, a viability of the child you could no longer get an abortion. And the problem was viability has changed dramatically since that decision was issued. And so there was a lot of con confusion in the law. There was a lot of uh, inconsistent application of the law. And so the court, like in the Second Amendment case, finally having secured a majority of justices that were willing to strike down Roe v. Wade. And if you go back and consider what was the deciding factor of the majority on the Supreme Court at this time, it was the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, at the time that she passed away, allowed Donald Trump to put, I believe, his third justice on the Supreme Court. And so that combination of events, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and the, I would say, courage of Donald Trump to appoint a Supreme Court justice at a time when many were saying, you're a lame duck president, you're on the way out, you don't get to do this, and he said, I'm doing this. He did it, and there will be thousands upon thousands of lives of babies to, to, uh, to commemorate that. And more than anything, it's an act of God because, like I said, even though this law was on shaky ground, the thinking in the legal community was that it would never go away. Because, and, and this was the argument of the government and others who tried to protect it. You know, because this administration sent, sent attorneys and, you know, there, were all, there was no lack of legal firepower trying to defend Roe v. Wade. And what they argued was that, well, it's just so dependent upon. It's so necessary. We've depended upon it for so long that it just has to remain. And finally, there was, by the grace of God, a majority of Supreme Court justices who said no. And they called it what it was. They said it's not an enumerated right in the Constitution, and if it's going to be a right at all, it will be addressed at the state level. They did not outlaw abortion. It will now go to the states. Now, about 13 states have trigger laws currently in place that will make abortion immediately illegal. Um, those laws, uh, they, they vary from state to state. Some have exceptions for the life of the mother. Some have exceptions in the case of rape and incest. Um, some, like I believe, uh, I believe Florida might um, permit abortion up to something like six weeks or something like that. So they vary from state to state on what the exceptions are, but um, they will be going into effect, some immediately, some in July, some in uh, end of June, and there's different dates. Some states uh, say nothing about abortion. They've just been neutral. And so those states will be preparing laws in the, in the 
months and weeks to come. So in addition to the 13, 13 states that will immediately outlaw abortion, uh, the expectation is that soon a majority of U.S. states will make abortion illegal. Um, and on the flip side, some states will become abortion sanctuary states. Now, if you recall, this decision was leaked a number of, I think it was a month or so ago. February. The decision was leaked back then. How and why that happened, we still don't know. But when it did, states like California, New York, and others immediately began to create legislation that in this state, abortion would be guaranteed. Uh, perhaps uh, they didn't want to miss a beat with abortions having to stop, so um, the decision was leaked, and many states immediately started to create a law to protect abortion. I think I, I read today that New York will be paying the travel costs and the medical costs for ladies to come into the state and receive an abortion. To that I say, how long will the people of New York enjoy paying taxes to support that practice? Um, and in all of these states that want to become sanctuary states, the legislatures may choose to do that now, and they can. But there will be an opportunity in the future to vote, and these things will come on to the ballot. And if you recall, it wasn't that long ago that there was a ballot initiative to define the marriage, uh, marriage between a man and a woman, and the people of California voted to define marriage between a man and a woman. That law got struck down, I believe, and they said you would need a constitutional amendment to do so. The people of California voted for a constitutional amendment to do so. And then the, the Ninth Circuit struck that down. There have been a lot of uh, prophetic voices who have said in the past that California will one day be a pro-life state. Well, one major step in that process has just occurred because now the, the Constitution and the U.S. Supreme Court will not be standing in the way. There are now several states that are pro-life, and that is the final say on that issue in that state. And we can continue to pray that states like California can join their, their ranks and that we can see abortion ended as a practice in the entire United States. I, for one, do not want to live in a state that prides itself on the killing of the unborn and requests ladies to come from all over to receive that service, as they call it, that health care, as they call it, um, I frankly don't want to be in a state receiving a judgment for priding itself in something like that. Um, so we will continue to pray that in this state where we live that this practice can come to an end. Again, our state has declared itself a sanctuary state on this issue, but that is not the final say. Uh, the issue will come up as a ballot initiative inevitably, and there will be, you will see ads, there will be a big push in both directions. Uh, uh, Suffice it to say that the issue of abortion is not gone. <laughs> we will continue to see uh, a, a ton of litigation, but we must recognize that this is an act of God and an answer to prayer. Uh, it is monumentous. It is the big first step. Uh, again, there was some chance that the court could have upheld the Mississippi law. Was it Mississippi? Yeah, Mississippi. And left Roe v. Wade alone. There was a chance that that could occur, but the decision that finally came out mirrored, for the most part, it mirrored the leaked decision from months ago, which actually was dated back in December. So all this time later and, and a threat on one uh, Justice Kavanaugh's life uh, in the, along the way, the decision came out. Nobody fell off the decision, thank God. They stuck to their guns. 
they held, they held their own and they issued the decision to go beyond declaring the Mississippi law as, as valid and legal, but actually struck down Roe v. Wade and it is dead and it is gone. Now, we should also be diligent to understand that if the balance of the Supreme Court changes to a more liberal court in the future, that they could read it back into the Constitution. They could say, well, it was an aberration of that strange conservative court at that time, and we want to put it back. But we want to pray that that never happened again, that this is the beginning of a movement and not the end. Now, this, this decision was uh, authored by Justice Alito. Justice Thomas authored the Second Amendment case. This, this decision was authored by Justice Alito um, as the, as the authoring, authoring the majority decision. But Justice Thomas, Clarence Thomas, mentioned that certain cases regarding the, the cases including the contraception case and gay marriage and several others are based on the same flawed legal principles as Roe v. Wade and that those cases may need to be reconsidered, suggesting that those issues could become issues to be decided by voters in the future. So you may hear or read in the news that they're going to take away contraception and they're going to uh, outlaw gay marriage, um, like they're saying they're outlawing abortion today. What Justice Thomas is saying is that we found that Roe v. Wade rested upon a principle that really doesn't exist in the Constitution. And these are conservative, um, what do they call them, uh, original intent type of uh, justices that read the Constitution and interpret it literally, like we read the Bible and we interpret it literally when, when it expects that we do so. And so they're going to continue to take that approach in reviewing cases, and if there is not a right in the Constitution for the thing, they're going to say let states decide, and that means let voters decide. See, abortion wasn't an issue for voters up until now. It was out of our hands because the Supreme Court said it's their decision. So what he's saying is uh, many of the same issues, moral issues, that have been dealt with by the Supreme Court up till now may likely also need to go back to the states. I would actually hope that that happens um, because once upon a time, California attempted, like I said, to amend our Constitution to say marriage is between a man and a woman. For now, that's not the case. Uh, those, those other cases are not overturned or uh, changed, but he was essentially inviting cases to do so. Um, and finally, uh, the governor of California, Oregon, and Washington have vowed to make those three states a Western coalition of abortion. And uh, that is not a surprise to, I think, any of us. But um, it'll be interesting to see what the voters do when the, when the issue is finally put into the hands of the voters to decide. This has been a political football for a long time, and I doubt that will end unless the voters give a clear decision on the issue, in which case all the politicians involved might decide this is not a winning issue anymore. Um, they're betting on it for this November. I hope they get a strong rebuke and they understand that people are frankly sickened um, by this. Uh, if it wasn't that long ago, that Hillary Clinton was, was referring to abortion and saying safe and rare. And the mantra today is uh, abortion on demand, no apologies. And they're, they're requesting and demanding abortion up to the time of delivery. And that is what it has devolved into. And I think for voters, that's a clear message to vote on. I don't think most sane people think that that's proper or uh, acceptable. Uh, but unlike the decision in the gun case, 
which is a bit more complex. I probably bored you and confused you with that one. The Dobbs decision has an immediate legal and practical effect. States that have trigger laws now immediately outlaw abortion, or in some, some of them put 30 days after this decision for certain things to be cleaned up and made clear. Others go into effect immediately. Uh, but as additional states enact restrictions on abortion, these states will also take immediate effect. But like the Second Amendment case, abortion will continue to be litigated. It will now be litigated based on what states do. So now people will bring cases within states to go up to the state Supreme Court and let that state decide for itself, whether through legislation and its own court system, what is legal and what is not. Whether that will come back into federal courts and go back up to the Supreme Court, we will see. If states decide to defy the Supreme Court uh, in some way or to somehow you know, confuse the law on the issue, um, it may. But in this case, I think what the, uh, unlike the Second Amendment cases where, this, where the Supreme Court may need to step in and slap lower courts down and say, this is what we said, I think the, the way the Supreme Court will act in these cases is to not take the case because they're saying it is a matter for states. So unless they see one of the lower federal courts get it wrong, the Supreme Court will likely want to stay out of abortion in the future and leave it for states to decide. And that is all I've got on the issue. Is there any questions or comments, Audrey? Well, two things. Um, we need to pray for our Supreme Court justices because they have the courage to do the right things. And the thing that I'm most concerned about is that they are Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a very, very bright and intelligent woman. She was a, kind of the matriarch of the Supreme Court, but she was also an extremely strong proponent of abortion. Uh, many uh, people on the, the left uh, had begged her to step down in her failing health and uh, because they wanted, you know, earlier uh, under the last uh, Democratic administration to replace her. Uh, with a young, uh, you know, liberal justice, and she chose not to do so. She was under no obligation to do so, so she did not, and she passed away during uh, Trump's, uh, just at the very end of Trump's term. And so she was replaced with Amy Coney Barrett, um, who, a mother of 25 kids or so, <laughs> who uh, stands as a stark contrast to Amy Coney, or to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a mother of... Uh, several kids, and um, she came through, absolutely came through on this, and so we're appreciative of whatever had to happen to bring this about, but it is an amazing outcome. It is an amazing uh, win for babies <laughs> um, and for life. I don't. The composition is evil. The Ninth Circuit has actually improved. 
uh, President Trump appointed uh, one or more uh, justices to the Ninth Supreme to the Ninth Circuit Court, and if you've ever heard of the Ninth Circuit Court, it was probably just to understand that they were kind of the rebels of the circuit courts in the United States, constantly getting slapped down by the Supreme Court, uh, both when the Supreme Court was more liberal and more centric than it is now. Uh, the Ninth Circuit has always, always sort of embarrassed itself in uh, trying to rebel against the rule of law. Um, and so uh, I think that's going, they're going, they are more center now, um, though not as, not as conservative, obviously, as the Supreme Court. But the California Supreme Court, I do not know. Um, I do, I, I believe in the past, the California Supreme Court has been extremely liberal, and the Ninth Circuit has been a rubber stamp on the California Supreme Court's decisions. Uh, hopefully that will change, but that is, I think, the makeup of the court now. And Audrey mentioned, uh, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and Amy Coney, Amy Coney Barrett was voted on, or uh, appointed to the court by President Trump, um, Biden just appointed a, a woman named, um, what is her name, Jackson? Katanji Jackson, is that right? Or Katanji Brown? Uh, all three. Katanji Jackson Brown? Brown Jackson, okay. And it, interestingly, in her confirmation, it was a bit of a buzz in the media that she was asked, can you define a woman? And she said, I am not a biologist. So that created a bit of a stir that she, it, it wasn't that she is not able to define a woman, it's that she refuses to define a woman because the current, you know, intellectual dishonesty of the, of the left today is that there is no gender, there is no uh, man, there is no woman, until, of course, uh, this decision in Roe v. Wade, and they said, you know, this is such a slight against women. So apparently women is definable for certain purposes and not for others. But um, that is the, I don't believe, you know, she was, she was scorned and, and ridiculed for being stupid for not knowing the definition of a woman, but it's much more insidious than that. She, she certainly could define a woman she refuses to because of, of her ideology on things like um, gender, and the thing that nearly sunk her nomination to the court was that she had a very strong preference to going light on people uh, convicted of um, uh, pedophile-type activities, and that it was that our laws were too strict, and that um, people had been convicted of things and given too harsh of sentences, and she would like to see that change that has been a a uh, project of hers since law school. So uh, these are these are consider that when you think of who is on the Supreme Court and the the thinking of the people in charge today and what they would like to see change and happen. And thank God that uh, she is only replacing one liberal judge. Um, it's unfortunate that she's going to be on the court, but. Um, we do need to keep the Supreme Court in prayer because we see the fruit of when it goes right, it goes it goes well. And when 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 God puts and I don't hold any of the people on the Supreme Court in some perfect regard because none of them deserve that based on some of the decisions. They've all made mistakes, but they got these ones mostly right, and we're thankful for that. And it is, is an act of God. And uh, I know it is somewhat boring to listen to, you know legal things and Supreme Court and government and all the rest, but God moves in government too and it affects us all. And just consider both of these issues are issues of life and protection 
honestly. And my and the Second Amendment issue is a deterrent to an evil government to uh, take rights away from its citizens, and that's good. I want the government to fear the people, not the people to fear the government, and that is the design of our founding fathers, and they, will, they were brilliant and led by God, divine intervention, to do so. And we're thankful for that because we reap the benefits of it today. Um, it is a fallacy to think that because criminals have guns and use them against us, that the right thing to do is for law-abiding citizens to give them up and expect that the government's going to stand in the gap because they've not done so, so far. Uh, Audrey? Also, uh, as mom's um, scripture in Titus that she that she quoted today regarding to the wicked, you know, they they pursue filthy lucre in everything they do. Abortion had become an industry. Uh, I think we've all heard that there was the harvesting and selling of fetal body parts. Um, I'm sure it goes. I, I I've come to understand after the last few years that all these things go well beyond what we know. So if you know 10%, you know, or if you know, whatever you know, expect that there's a lot more we don't know. And that is in alignment with the, with the prophetic word mom gave a couple years ago that said, uh, stay in the wake because there's things going on underneath the surface that are awful, evil, profound, and dangerous. And I think what we have seen revealed over the last couple years are bits and pieces of that. Uh, much of what is done by evil people is done for gain, for uh, money. Abortion was no different. And I would also just throw out that over the last several decades, there has been a country that has been a profit center for many people uh, in politics, and that country has been U Ukraine. Ukraine has been uh, very corrupt. Our president's own son was receiving millions of dollars for sitting on the board of a Ukrainian energy company and doing nothing more. Uh, it has been a location to funnel funds through for whatever purpose, and it comes back to various people. Uh, you know, those who are wicked are always looking for their own gain. And we certainly don't wish war upon any country or any people. We don't, because there are always innocent people caught up in the mix. And so we pray that God would bring that to an end um, quickly. But we also understand that God brings various actions and judgments and brings things to light so we would hope that he brings the um, corruption to light. The last president, President Trump, was impeached because he called out some of this corruption, corruption that was going on in Ukraine. If you don't think there was a sensitive nerve there, there absolutely was. He had a call with the president of that country and it resulted in his impeachment. Uh, our own government is involved in a lot of things they should not be. And as the scripture in Titus said, they should be called out. 
and they should be made to their, their mouths to sh be shut and stopped and the lies and the deceit to end. And if anything, I'd like to see what happened in the Supreme Court today as, as God rolling us in the right direction. These decisions are out of the hands of our government. They can't stop it. They can't stop it. They can't change it. It's done, it's written, and it is over. Roe v. Wade is done. It is over. It is dead. And thank God for that. And nothing, it's odd that our government has been focused on a show trial over the last several weeks of people who are at the, at the Capitol a couple years ago protesting. And now their answer to Roe v. Wade is get out in the streets and riot. As a matter of fact, let's take time off of our uh, show trial for the people who uh, protested at the Capitol to go riot in the streets about this. The hypocrisy is on full display and the American people see it. But um, any other questions or comments? Uh, Mom? That's the only reason I felt compelled to walk the front door today. When we have prayed, we have invoked the power of the Holy Spirit in this building around this property and will take the sign off and allow the Lord to protect us and perform his word. And I pray that we learn that when this thing cools off a bit, how invested are people really in abortion? I mean, outside of college centers where people are indoctrinated with, with the most foolish thoughts, and that's been the case for decades, how much do people really want to fight for the right to kill a child? So I'm hopeful that when it gets in the hands of, of cool-headed voters that we get it right, including in the state of California, and that we hopefully see that setting aside all the rhetoric and the media and the professors and the students and all of that, that the American people's hearts aren't so set on the killing of unborn children. I would like to see that, that be revealed. And then maybe, just maybe, the politicians will cool off on this issue, understanding that the American people have had enough. I'm praying that that's the outcome. Um, God's done this much. He can see it through to that end. Any other comments or questions? Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to review your work, Lord God. You move and you act in various ways, and it is important for us to recognize when you are on the move. And what we saw this week, Lord God, was the fruition of some things that have been put in place over the last several years and probably decades, Lord God, that an abomination of our Constitution and the law has finally been thrown down. And it really is important that we recognize the spiritual significance of what many have said was impossible coming, coming to fruition now, this week, Lord God. And we are thankful of that because we do understand the practical implication that that has in the lives of families and young women, Lord God, and the unborn children. And so we just pray, Lord God, that this be the, the beginning of a movement, not the end, and that we continue to see the rights and the freedoms pursuit of happiness, peace, joy, and the lives of American citizens continue to be a growing possibility in the days to come. And that the mouths of liars, Lord God, be shut, and that corruption come to light, and that we can see peace across the land. That a coolness come over the hate and the vile speech and actions that we're seeing shown to us to get us riled up, to get us hateful, to get us angry, Lord God, but that you bring a love a brotherly love, Lord God, 
of peace and quiet across this world that needs it so badly, Lord God, that your love, that your example and that your word pervade our hearts, our minds, and our spirits, and that your Holy Spirit cover each and every one of us, and that we be emissaries of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, going out and spreading the truth of the gospel and bringing the peace of the gospel, Lord God, wherever we go. We don't seek contention. We don't seek confrontation. We don't seek a fight, Lord God. We want to bring the peace of your gospel into a lost and dying world, Lord God, a world that has embraced these things for so long. We hope and pray, Lord God, that they can finally see the truth and that eyes that have been scaled over and hearts that have been hardened can be softened and opened up to your word and that we can see a revival across the land even as we see a reformation in the government and the courts of our nation. We ask these things in your name, Lord God, that you bless and go with each one of us today. Amen.